We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes on deck with a lot happening this week with the Miami Marlins, both on the field and off the field. The holidays are coming, and that means it is car buying season. And those of you who are looking to purchase a pre-owned vehicle, I want to encourage you to go to this website, happycarsflorida.com. Or go visit the inventory there at 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale, 33315. The phone number is 954-745-9599. You've heard me talk about Happy Cars Florida, now all 2019. And the deals that they have going on right now are unbelievable. And better yet, if you want to buy any kind of car... For you or your loved one, call Louie at 954-745-9599 and say that you heard about this on the Swings and Mishes podcast and that Craig sent you directly. He will get you into any car that you want. Louie is unbelievable. He's been involved in car buying and car selling for over two decades here in South Florida. and He can get you exactly what you want. I've been buying cars directly from Louie as well. So you can trust him and head on over there. He does all the financing in-house. Whether or not you have good credit, bad credit, or even no credit whatsoever, he will take care of you. Again, financing done on the site there. 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. That is happycarsflorida.com. Make sure you give him a call. 954-745-9599. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes with a couple of weeks off, but a lot of information uh, here for you on this fine Wednesday uh, here in early December. A lot more information than I think we anticipated before the winter meetings, um, but I am your producer, Jeremy Taché. I'm back with Craig Mish, the man, the myth, the legend. How your last uh, couple of weeks been, Craig, without Swings and Mishes? Yeah, it's felt very lonely. No podcast yeah. for us the last few weeks. We were doing them all... Uh, 2019 January February all the way through the end of the season but kind of took a little break there and you know normally we don't like to do that with this podcast because we have some great sponsors and people who take care of us and definitely uh, make this podcast possible and uh, sponsors by the way for next week as well and that's kind of how we'll open this up where for the third year in a row we're taking uh, the show on the road to the winter meetings in San Diego so I'll have podcasts for you guys uh, from San Diego at the winter meetings on Monday and Tuesday. And I believe on Wednesday as well, we'll have some podcasts of some kind. Uh, but Monday's podcast and Tuesday's podcast next week will be with uh, special guests from the Miami Marlins on site. So we'll get the you know as much insight as we possibly can as to what's going on with them with the on-the-field product in terms of the Major League Baseball uh, roster and things that may be happening there. Uh, of course, on Thursday is the Rule 5 draft. And just from a planning perspective, from us in general, that's not something that I like to stick around for and wait for it mm -hmm. to end. And the last couple of years that I've been there, and yes, the Marlins, uh, I believe, took Riley Farrell last year, the Rule 5, and they've uh, Julian Fernandez, I believe, was a Rule 5 player. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've made some moves there. But for me, uh, the, the meat of the winter meetings is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I'll be covering it there uh, also for – my other show over on FNTSY radio covering it from a fantasy baseball perspective as well. So those of you who play fantasy baseball kind of double dipping there uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, make sure you keep it here. We'll have podcasts posted for you for sure on Monday and Tuesday and our uh, primary sponsor, uh, happy car Florida, putting that together as well for us and, and helping us out 
with some of the expenses there to make it all possible, as well as uh, Sports Grid and the uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network helping me out on their end too. So looking forward to that coverage for sure, and I think things will heat up. And as you mentioned, we do have news to talk about right here at the top, Jeremy. So I believe we can start off with the news from earlier this morning. Yeah, early this morning, the Marlins announced that they will be installing synthetic grass surfaces in Marlins Park. Uh, That's sponsored by Shaw Sports Turf. So that's a partnership there for the Marlins. And that'll be all throughout the outfield. And and interesting details, if you guys do want to find all the details on how they've created that turf, etc. We'll tweet out the link from at Swings and Mishes. Uh, yeah. But they are also adjusting the outfield dimensions in center and right center field. So they're moving in center field fence from 407 feet to 400 feet. And in right center, they're moving from 392 feet to 387. So an adjustment of 12 feet overall. And Craig, what are your thoughts on the Marlins moving in the fences as, as some have been clamoring for for a while at Marlins Park? Yeah, it, it's, it's not overly significant in detail from what I'm seeing here, but it just basically is, I think, just enough to do a couple of things. The first would be to pacify some of their own hitters, I believe. And, mm-hmm. and I know that, you know, certainly the Marlins don't have a ton, at least on the current roster of 30 plus home run power hitters. And I get that, uh, but that will pacify that it will, obviously there will be more home runs hit in Marlins park, whether that number will be five more or 10 more or 20 more. I don't have the answer to that because we obviously don't know who will be the opponents and we don't know who will be fully on the Marlins roster as well. But I I think a key part of this is also understanding that in this day and age, players want to play in places that can uh, be hitters parks and can hit more home runs in their parks. Now uh, target field, as an example, last year became all of a sudden a hitters park because all of their hitters that they acquired and even though they let go of CJ Crone and and they signed um, uh, Nelson Cruz and and they, and Eddie Rosario came into his own. uh, And now the Marlins have, you know, their, the hitting coach basically from the twins as their bench coach too. And I think that is going to be more of a more of significant move than moving in the fences is that the approach from what the hitters is going to be, is going to change significantly as well with James Rousen being now the bench coach and partly involved as the hitting coordinator, as they have named it. But if you're an opponent and you're in Major League Baseball and you're looking to sign in a place, uh, potentially for a one-year deal, and I think this year's a good example of that. Let's say I'll throw out a name with, with just opinion and no fact here. You guys know the difference. I'll tell you when it's opinion and I'll tell you when it's a fact. But let's just throw out a name that's a possibility for the Marlins. And again, with no uh, insight, or no inside information on this one. Let's use Corey Dickerson as an example. Corey Dickerson fits the bill. Uh, I've talked about David Peralta on the show. He fits the bill too of a potential left fielder with power that, uh, that could play. What would his numbers be at Marlins park? Now Peralta would have no choice. It would be a trade. He'd have to come here, but Corey Dickerson, let's say he's, he's going to sign with the Marlins potentially on a one year deal. He's looking to cash in. He's looking to play in a place where he can be the guy who he's been in the past, 20, 25, maybe 30 home runs. This isn't going to play like Coors Field years ago that he used to play in. But he's played in places like Tampa, Pittsburgh, and then at the end in Philadelphia, uh, players where you could hit home runs. They want to see that their numbers are going to be accurate enough so that when they hit the free agent market, they will be able to cash in. And I think that this speaks to that as well. Uh, some of it potentially could be fans wanting to see more home runs. I'd have to dive a little bit more into their Debelow campaign and see if that was part of it. But I think that is a factor for it as well. So, of course, it's a positive thing. I'm not going to overreact too much to it because the dimensions that we're talking about here, 
is is a shift, but it's not something that's so overly significant that I think it's going to make the park a home run park. I don't think that is the case. We've also seen players come here, Jeremy, in the past. Marcelo Zuna, Giancarlo Stanton. It didn't make any difference to them. But maybe this does make a difference to left-handed hitters mm-hmm. in Marlins Park. I think that's significant, and I think that's something that could potentially change. So we will certainly have to see how it plays out, but I think it makes the park at least a little bit more attractive and makes it easier to hit home runs, which is something they had to do. If just a few more of those balls go out at Marlins Park, it will be a big advantage for uh Really, I guess both teams coming in, but especially for the Marlins offense. And, and a couple of the guys who were added to the Marlins offense, this was news at the uh, tender or non-tender deadline a couple of days ago. Jonathan Villar added from the Orioles, and that was actually ended up being a trade for Easton Lucas. And Aguilar, a guy who hit 35 homers in his own right back in 2018, Obviously, Villar at this point, or VR rather, at this point of his uh, career would probably be considered the more complete, the better player. But Aguilar does add some pop. So what are your thoughts on both of these moves for the Marlins, which seem low risk, high reward? Yeah, I as soon as I saw the story that VR was going to be available uh, by the Orioles, my uh, texting began and I could not believe that the Orioles were basically going to give this guy away. Like I, it, it was shocking to me now. Now, remember from my perspective and covering major league baseball, watching it and doing these podcasts is, is one part of my gig. The other part of my gig is fantasy baseball. This is true. You guys should know this uh, as, as even if you're a listen, just for the Marlins point of view, I do a lot of fantasy baseball discussion. VR in fantasy was an absolute monster and I sometimes think that the fantasy world does mimic the reality world in the sense that some stats in baseball are so far down and off the grid that if you can get a guy that is dynamic in the sense that he can do something that nobody other player does I think that you have to attack that and I did not see Miami this offseason signing anybody that's gonna hit 40 home runs and if you're not going to have that, and you look, they may add some pop to the lineup for sure, but why not add a guy that could steal 40, 50 bases on your team? Why not add that element of speed? Why not add an exciting player and the dynamic of someone that on an everyday basis can you know, ground out an infield hit, steal second, base hit, come home? Like, where is that? That did not exist on the Marlins uh, for the last couple of years, I know that they thought they had somebody like that in Lewis Brinson. That's really who they thought that he would be. They thought that Brinson would get a hit. He would steal second. I mean, it just never worked out, and there really wasn't a backup plan there. So with VR, you're getting clearly uh, a stopgap guy. Let's not make any mistake about it. That's probably what he's going to end up being. But you're, you're putting yourself in a almost no-risk situation, just taking Castro's money, turning it into Jonathan VR getting a better player. Every statistic speaks to that, both offensively and defensively. If you look at war, he was a four-war player. He would have been a top-five player in free agency in terms of war available. I thought that this was a no-brainer. Uh, no American League team claimed him. It went over to the National League. The Marlins claimed him in the early afternoon on Monday. They uh, tried to work out a waiver deal with the Orioles. Uh, some wacky things happened, of which I'm not exactly sure in my conversations going back and forth, like what exactly is happening. I thought, as you knew, it was dead in the afternoon. I thought it was potentially over. Uh, Mike Hill was adamant about getting the player. 
and they ended up trading, as you mentioned, Easton Lucas for him, and he goes to uh, the Marlins as to where he's going to play. I'm not so sure. As soon as uh, I kind of put out there that he was a third baseman and an outfielder, there's some people jumping in saying, hey, he can't play either of those positions. Uh, you know, this is one of those things that's going to have to get worked out in spring training, and they certainly will figure it out, I think. I'm not particularly worried about that. Uh, also, some other uh, folks have said that uh, VR plays better when he plays just one position. Again, these are all things that will be worked out. The bottom line is you got a very talented player playing out the scenarios. Jeremy, here's what could play out. Uh, scenario one, he's exactly who he was last year. Marlins have the option at the, at the deadline to move him or keep him. Uh, option two, and I would say a possible option two, is he is better than he was in Baltimore. I know that people don't think that, but it is certainly in the realm of possibility. What would the Marlins do? Would they extend him? Would they try to keep him around? Or better yet, would VR be worth uh, staying with the Marlins the entire season, offering him the qualifying offer at the end of the year? If he takes it, you bring him back off a, a four-war season again and, and adding him to a competitive team. And I know Miami feels they will be in 2021. So you add him to that competition in 2021. Or maybe VR looks at it and says, I want to hit free agency. And I think I can get 30, 40 million on the open market after having a good season like I did this past year. Again, he's in his walk year. So, I mean, right. there's a lot of motivation there. And if that's the case, guess what? Marlins get a first round pick. Marlins get a first round pick again for a player. And, and is that worth $10 million? The answer is yes. The Marlins <laughs> would give any team right now $10 million to get a first round pick in Major League Baseball. That's right. the way this works. Those things are gold right now with the way that the finances are in baseball. Everyone is hoarding those picks. They want the first-rounders, the comps. Marlins have a comp also coming up in the 2020 draft as well. As we get closer to that, we'll talk about it. Uh, so that is the long story on Jonathan VR, who I think was a no-brainer. In terms of Jesus Aguilar, another player who uh, went through waivers and unclaimed in the American League, uh, Rays basically uh, tried to build him back up and make him the player that he was in Milwaukee. It didn't work. I feel that he gives Garrett Cooper some competition. Hmm. I am going to stop short of saying that Aguilar is going to be the, the guy that he was two years ago. I can't say that, and no one can say that, even with a hitting coach of any kind. Uh, I got some texts basically you know, from people around the industry and people in the game saying, yeah, it's kind of a – I did not get anything overwhelming saying, wow, what a great signing with Jesus Aguilar. Just, just telling you candidly. What I got was this is a no-risk deal. Right. Somebody else uh, sent me, somebody also in, in baseball, saying, you know why this is a good move? Because they can cut him in the spring if he doesn't look good and they only owe him a few hundred grand and they can right. say goodbye. Um, now, this is not a scenario that you want to see out for any player. I can tell you that last year that played itself out for Dan Straley, and I thought it was awful the way that, uh, you know, that things went down with him where they kept him for insurance. And then essentially, even though they offered him arbitration, he didn't get paid it. And he was all out of sorts. They had to cut him, let him go. He, he went to the Orioles, didn't work out there as well. You hate to see that for a player who thinks they have a job, and then all of a sudden they don't. But that is a possible scenario with Aguilar. Do not make any mistake about that. If He, does, if he is one of the few players that I think goes into spring training where you got to see. you got to see a little bit of him to make sure. Now, look, they may say, no, for sure, he's, he's going to be on the roster. And then that very well could be the case. Uh, but that is the kind of guy I need to see hit a little bit to make sure that he's going to get back to the player that he was a couple of years ago. Conditioning is, is, uh, is something that's important for him as well. So uh, I, I think Cooper still has the inside track on first base there. 
based on his performance last year. Health will be the question with him. Mike Hill in a conference call a couple days ago said that he could play some outfield. I don't believe that is the case. I don't think that he should. I think he should be the first baseman. He puts himself more apt to injury in the outfield as well. Uh, I'd like to see a full season of of a healthy Garrett Cooper. But uh, two players that they've added, Jeremy, no risk at all other than money. We know they have a lot of money coming off the books. Prado and Castro got to reinvest that money, and this was a start. Considering also, you know, one part of this that, that, and I don't even remember if we've had a chance to really discuss this at, at length, but they ate the Wei-Yin Chen contract. So when you see that the Marlins are reinvesting that money from, from Castro after already having eaten the, the Chen contract, the 20-plus million, you know, you see VR, he could come in and instantly be the best player on this Marlins team. He could be the best player. He is now. I, <laughs> I think already. he is. Going into the season, so uh, all things considered, you know, if he is positionally versatile and, you know, even if Aguilar is just insurance at first base and a guy that can come in and pinch hit in late game situations, uh, having that in the National League, these are, like you said, low risk and very high reward opportunities. And they're going to be working with, with hitting coach James Rousen, who you mentioned earlier between the fences coming in, working with Rousen, it will be interesting to see how those guys, but you know, when you look at the rest of the coaching staff, we're sort of waiting to sort of figure out what the rest of that shapes out to be. And, you know, Hensley Mullins was a name that had been sort of linked to the Marlins and and we had talked about here on Swings and Mishes. What actually happened with Hensley Mullins and what's going on with the rest of the coaching staff? Yeah, it's interesting that we've that the coaching staff has been really the final uh, piece to to fit here with the Marlins, and they thought that Hensley Mullins was going to be the first base coach. Uh, the the uh, the story with with Hensley Mullins basically is as follows, and it does make more sense now that I kind of understand the full scope as to what went on here. So uh, Mullins was offered the job as first base coach with the Marlins, and he accepted. Uh, Mullins accepted verbally and did not uh, sign any contract with the Marlins to be the first base coach. But once he agreed verbally, uh, a few days passed, and the New York Mets contacted the Marlins and asked them permission to speak uh, with Mullins because Mullins hadn't signed officially yet. Miami granted uh, Mullins the opportunity to interview with the Mets, and the reason being was that they understood that my, that every Major League Baseball team, Jeremy, has, in addition to the manager, they have four spots where you're offered the vested Major League Baseball pension. Sure. And because all of those spots were taken in Miami uh, by Mel Stottlemyre, I believe Trey Hillman, James Rousen, I'm, I'm missing someone, there's four, maybe Mattingly was the fourth, I'm not sure. They did not have that pension spot available and of course once you're in major league baseball a period of time whether you're a player or a coach you get that pension i believe it's a 10 year and um and mullins was really seeking that pension spot and that bench coach spot with the mets was a pension spot so understanding that he had the opportunity to get that they gave him the chance to interview and then after the interview was over uh, the window of time that Mullins uh, had to tell the Marlins he was going to uh, accept the Marlins job or go to the Mets, it expired. So the Marlins went back to Mullins and said, hey, look, uh, we need to fill our first base coach, so you got to make a choice here. Either you right. gotta you got to take this job with us. We don't have that pension for you, but we obviously have the job for you here. Uh, or you got to just be in the wind here and pursue that Mets gig. 
And Mullins at the time uh, basically told the Marlins, hey, look, um, no offense, but I, I, I think I, I got a good chance here to get the bench coach spot. He, he basically, uh, he and the Marlins parted ways on that. He waited it out, and lo and behold, Mullins did get the bench coach spot with the Mets. So uh, no animosity there from what I'm told. The understanding is, is that when you have the opportunity to take care of your family financially and, and when the, the MLB pension is involved uh, and you're so close to getting that 10 years, you, you got to go for it. I believe he's a year and a half away. Uh, I thought maybe there was some animosity there. I mean, maybe behind the scenes there's a little bit like, yeah, I mean, you did tell us you were going to do it, and now you backed out of it. And and I would guess that the ship has probably sailed completely on the franchise and having any to do with Hensley Mullins. That's just my speculation. I don't know. Publicly, that would never be said. Uh, but from what I understand, it, it did make some sense for him personally to take that. And so that eliminated him, Jeremy, from the idea of him being the first base coach, to which at the time that we're doing this podcast, we still do not know right. uh, who the first base coach will be. I know they've interviewed other uh, candidates as well. And it would obviously seem to be that that uh, that means that Trey Hillman is the third base coach. I mean, that's sure. I mean, it's a, a foregone conclusion at this point if they're interviewing all first base coaches. So that we'll have to find out, and they'll they'll need a new uh, trainer, new athletic trainer too. As I reported a couple of weeks ago, their athletic trainer decided to resign and 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 stay back at home in I believe the West Coast. So uh, those are a couple of positions on the big league roster, big league staff that will need to be filled out. But I thought that I would at least clear up the Hensley Mullins story there for you. Right, of course. And as we, you know, head into the winter meetings and we see the, you know, you everyone normally is thinking about the roster construction and, you know, what's going to continue to happen there on, on the field in terms of the players. But, you know, that coaching staff will end up mattering, especially with such a young team uh, overall with the Marlins. And then uh, last thing before we do wrap this up, you, you tweeted about it yesterday, following up on a report from the South Florida Business Journal uh, that the Marlins and the Cardinals are looking to update Roger Dean Stadium. Uh any other information that you want to add besides just that, that that is out there that Roger Dean might be up for a, a facelift? Yeah, in the, the story in the Business Journal the kind of reads as though there's a very big economic impact on having spring training in South Florida. There is no question mm-hmm. that uh, now with the uh, 15 ballpark in the Palm Beaches, you have two extra teams that are playing in South Florida in spring training, more people are coming to games. You have the Astros off a world series two years ago. You now have the nationals coming off the world series this past year. Uh, I of course frequent both ballparks a lot. The 15 ballpark of the Palm beaches is more modern. It's more updated. There are a lot more uh, fields available in very close proximity to it. It is surprising to me that they, that we haven't heard yet of a Florida state league team being there because they are, uh, in my opinion, they are ready to do that. I know the Astros would love to have a Florida State League team play there, but you know, with them reducing some teams potentially in, in the minor leagues, including yeah. Daytona, a uh, single-A team, I believe, with the Reds. I don't know that that's even in, in the plans at this point. So uh, as far as the money is concerned, and I know that that's what everyone's going to ask, the money is, from what I'm told, going to be divided up in where they'd like it to be divided up in the proposal be- between the state and the county of Palm Beach, and also the Marlins and the Cardinals would, I guess, split that other third. And I know that on the St. Louis side, they have really wanted for many years to upgrade the facilities there. They feel like they're outdated. Uh, the difference between Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium and, and the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches in terms of 
uh, the non-baseball stuff is the charm over in Jupiter is a lot more than it is in Palm Beach just because yeah. the surrounding area is so nice. But as far as the facilities go, they are uh, – you know, this is a, a park that's been around now for a long time, I believe 20 years or, or maybe 25 years, even longer than that, without any kind of upgrades. And uh, a few years ago, they, they, they kind of separated – the uh the both the cardinals and the marlins areas there's not like walking back and forth anymore and they're kind of making them their own entities and i think maybe more of that is coming as well and so it does make some sense uh, again the only thing i could tell you is i know that the cardinals have pushed for this for a long period of time we're going you know seven to ten years cardinals did their own sort of uh upgrades on their own a couple of years ago um you know moving some things but nothing significant so uh, this will be interesting to see if it ends up happening. It'll make spring training better, I hope, right. at, uh, at Rajin Chevrolet Stadium. I would say that from a fan's perspective, maybe watching the games is about equal. But from a fan's perspective, I prefer uh, the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches. It is, it is more open. Uh, fans can easily interact with players uh, you know, on backfields. It is a phenomenal setup there and reminds me more of uh, Vero Beach when the Dodgers used to play and it was just so open there to uh, to walk around and do things I the the Cardinals and the Marlins don't have that same sort of feel and it's not as easily accessible and they may take exception to that but that is my opinion especially on the Cardinal side you literally have to walk all around um, a backfield to even come close to it and and I and I I think spring training is more made for fans like you want fans to go the games are lax and I don't know that this has anything to do with that, honestly, with the, uh, with the upgrades to this $100 million or $111 million, I believe, is the price tag. But I'm in favor of, of anything better as it pertains to spring training. So for me, I'm curious to see what this ends up being. And, and, and I, I'm also going to guess that it would happen not for a couple of years because they would have to do it when there's no baseball going on there. Right. Right. We know you're a big spring training guy. Uh, Based off last year, I'm now a big spring training guy because it's such a pleasure to be up there. And like you mentioned, I mean, the surrounding area of Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, the little Abacoa area, it's so nice up there that if they did get those types of upgrades, it's such a nice little trip. Oh, they have the advantage on on Fit Team there. Absolutely. Where where Fit Team has the advantage is the the actual ballpark experience. There's not, I don't think that there's much of a difference between the two ballparks, but. A lot of what spring training is, especially in the month of February, is the ability to uh, to watch the practices. Absolutely. And I just think that Fit Team has a more up-close and personal feel on, especially on the Astros side, a little, not as much on, on the Washington side, but, but kind of is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's not to say that the Marlins don't have that. They do. But it is definitely – it's very restrictive on the St. Louis side. But it is, it is still, unfortunately, more restrictive on the, uh, the Marlins side than it is at Fit Team on both sides. Yes. It is. And, 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 look, the Marlins in particular have made a point of being fan-friendly and, um, and especially on the backfield, making sure the players engage with fans. And, I, and I'm, I'm, that's definitely the case. <laughs> But I love the idea of, you know, and I have a young son. I love the idea of just having free roam of a ballpark oh, and yeah. not having to pay. And, and, and Jeremy, not having to pay because the mm-hmm. practices are free and not everybody has the money. 
these days in spring training. I mean, you want to go to a spring training game. These, there's no $5 tickets anymore like there used to be at Fort Lauderdale Stadium. You go sit in the yeah. bleachers for $7. Those are gone. I mean, tickets are $20, $30. Right. And I'm blessed and fortunate to have media passes and go to the games and I don't have to pay. But um, to buy a ticket to a game, it can be it could be 50 bucks just to start without parking and anything else. And those practices are free or open to the public. Yes, you can access the practices at both places. But I if they were asking me what I would do is I would and, and I can't speak for the Cardinals because I don't think that they'll change. But I would. I would have that Marlin stuff wide open and uh, just like they have it um, on the Houston side and somewhat the national side too. So I don't think this probably has unfortunately anything to do with the money that they're spending on this, but I always like discussing my opinions on spring training. I've been going to spring training games for uh, 40 years, maybe you know, all over Florida and all over the, the country. Yeah. So I, I, I think that I have a pretty good view as to, as to how this should go. And my absolute favorite thing as a kid was being taken out early from school, from elementary school, going over to Fort Lauderdale Stadium and watching some spring training. So anytime yeah. you can get involved in, in, in making spring training either more accessible to fans and or more affordable in that way, like you said, because of free roam during practices, if it is accessible, that's such a nice combo. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I want to add before we go and, yeah. and um, you know, people probably – feel like wow you do a whole podcast and we'll talk about the players what's going to happen <laughs> so so let, yeah let's end with that here so my my belief still remains as we sit here on recording this on the 4th of December mm-hmm. that the Marlins are going to add a left-handed outfielder of some kind mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that the Marlins are going into the year with Isan Diaz and Jonathan VR is the only left-handed bats in their lineup and on the bench. It cannot be the case. It will not be the case. So I believe that that is going to happen between now and February. They're going to add a left-handed, I believe, power bat, and that potentially could be a left fielder. It could be a right fielder, but they are going to have to do that. And if they are going to sell us on John on uh, Jesus Aguilar, Right, being the first baseman or backup first baseman or part of this team, well, that we've eliminated the left-handed guy at first base. Yeah. I think if that's the unless they move Cooper, which I, I mean I haven't heard that, but right, uh, yeah. So that's it. So a left-handed bat is coming, and two bullpen arms are coming too. Mm. And I think that that could come via free agency, and I think that could come relatively soon. I think that uh, from all indications to me, that's where the next money is going to be spent. So I would look for two veteran bullpen arms to be added and uh, you know without just randomly throwing names out there I know that Blake Trinan was was designated by the A's I believe that that guy is going to get paid pretty well I I don't know that the Marlins are going to pony up for the kind of money that he is going to be interested in but I do certainly believe that you could expect uh, you know two high leverage bullpen relievers coming in Mike Hill on a conference call the other day mentioned uh, Ryan Stanek is still a possibility, and I think that he is, but they're, they're going to have to really shore that thing up. And, and, and he mentioned Drew Steckenrider, which is nice, but come on. I mean, like, right. no offense to Drew, but they, they got to have guys well above that in order to be slightly competitive next year. So I think that that is coming as well. And, and that's what I would look for, three players added of significance, left-handed bat, two relievers, and I think that's where the Marlins stand in the offseason. Well, you mentioned that may happen sometime soon. We will have you guys covered, obviously, over the next week, but especially as we head into winter meetings. As Craig mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, he will be out in San Diego at the winter meetings. We will have podcasts for you on Monday, Tuesday, and likely Wednesday as well. 
Uh, Craig, any last little things you'd like to add about what those podcasts will be like? You know, you said we'll have special guests. We'll have everything going on. Anything you want to add before we do wrap this up here on this, uh, this first episode in a couple of weeks here on Swings and Mishes? Yeah, it'll be unpredictable just like it was last year. Last year was just <laughs> dominated with all uh, JT, all JT. Really stuff. And, and look, I was not going to miss an opportunity to go to Las Vegas. <laughs> so, I, so I went there for the winter meetings for sure. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that, that there are some signings. Uh, the last two years, both in Orlando and Las Vegas, did not provide nope. a lot of drama at all other than rumors. And, you know, for me, yeah, I like, look, I, I'll be the first one to throw out a rumor if I hear something. And I know that that is what other people do too. Mm-hmm. But I really don't have that agenda to have to do it. So I'm going to try and just, you know, spew the facts uh, so to speak but i'm hopeful that even if it's not the marlins jeremy that it's some other team right does something significant because the last two years <laughs> it was fun to see everybody and it was fun to do broadcasts but not a lot happened so i'm hopeful that there'll be some activity this year yeah it should be uh it should be fun and we look forward to keeping you guys updated we covered a lot here today we'll cover a lot going into the winter meetings thank you all for listening if you haven't already like subscribe rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever other platform you are listening on. And thank you all for listening to Swings and Mishes.